Matthew chapter 11. Please turn with me there. Matthew chapter 11. I want to be reading from the English Standard Version, ESV, but should be recognizable in any good English translation. We're actually going to be doing verses 16 through 27. Matthew 11, 16 through 27, and this is jam-packed. This is, last week we talked about John the Baptist. We talked about his ministry. We talked about the fact that John the Baptist struggled with doubt. And so today we're actually going to be um, riffing on the theme of doubt. So Jesus is responding to the doubts of John the Baptist. He's responding to unbelief, and you're going to see more of that here when he actually talks about uh, the people that he came to, the Jews. So here's what he says when he's talking about the people and the towns he went to. Verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he, that is Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The theme for the day, and you'll see it here as I play this video for us, is childish versus childlike. And this is an experiment with uh, a YouTube clip. Normally I don't do video clips, okay? So we're going to see how it goes. Uh, I would love your feedback. If you think this is a terrible idea, then uh, we won't have to do it. But this is from one of my all-time favorite movies. It's an incredibly bizarre movie. Uh, it's called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I grew up on this and was scared of this. <laughs> Especially when they get on this, they get on this boat. I don't know if you've seen this. And they go through this tunnel and there is no explanation except for the fact that that's, that screenwriter and producer were on drugs. <laughs> that is the only explanation for that. So here we have a scene with all of our favorite character from the movie Willy Wonka, Veruca Salt. Somebody remember Veruca Salt? Well, here's her song, uh, and, and you, can, uh, you can sing along this morning if you remember how this movie goes. Hey, Dad, you're a bunch of golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Don't 
Salt. Quite a character. <laughs> no, this is the best. His reactions are the best. I mean, what in the world? It's a kid's movie. And he's like, they have a good sporting chance. Oh, man, sorry. Okay, that's not what this is about. Childish. Childish. That's what I think we could use, a term we could use to describe Veruca Salt in that particular uh, video, right? What are some of the characteristics that you see in Veruca, and feel free to answer, uh, from that video about being childish? How would you describe it? Self-centered, impatient, entitled. I want what I want now. Yeah. Anything else? Those are great, and that's exactly right. Childish. If you think about child about children for a minute, and how we're going to describe it, childish is very much. I want what I want, and I want it now. It's never about needs. It's always about 
wants. And, and to give us, to have, get a clue into what Jesus is going to be talking about this morning, because he's referring to children this morning. That's what Jesus is dealing with. He's saying there is a difference between the childish and the childlike. And it's very important that we understand that difference because the childish reject Jesus and the childlike accept him. That's Jesus' main point this morning in this particular section of Hebrews chapter 11. Those who are childish reject him. Those who are childlike receive him. But let's unpack that for just a few minutes. So Jesus, he starts out uh, with this idea of childish, and he uses a picture for us of kids. Feel free to turn there if you've still got your finger on it. He uses this interesting picture of children playing in the marketplace. Now, this is a little... A little different than today, right? We don't, we don't have marketplaces so much, although you may think of the pedestrian mall downtown as something similar. But he says, there's, there's a ringleader, or there's, a, there's like a popular girl, let's say, who's leading this playtime. The parents are all shopping probably in the different stalls down there, picking out some fruits and vegetables and breads and things of that nature. And the kids say, and, the, and, the, and the, this popular girl says, hey, let's gather a game. Come on, this will be fun. Let's all get together. She said, uh, uh, let's do a wedding game. Well, why would she do a wedding game? Or, or why would she do a funeral game? Because those were the main festivals at the time in this era of, of the world, in this part of the world, in this era of time. The two main festivals people celebrated were weddings and funerals. And they were a much bigger deal than nowadays. We are like, for our weddings, we're like, okay, 30 minutes, I want out of here. You know? And then the reception, it's like, let's get this over quick. Totally different then. I mean, they would spend a week feasting and celebrating for a wedding, and they would spend several days mourning and wailing over someone that passed away. So, so it was very much in the consciousness of these children that the things that we do, the things that we mimic, are going to be a wedding and a funeral. Let's play a game. So you can just imagine this popular girl, and she says, okay, okay, um, uh, Sally, why don't you be the bride, and, and Johnny, why don't you be the, the groom, and we'll get everybody set up around like a party, and then we'll dance for a while. You know, because receptions have dances, and they knew all about the dancing from these receptions. And, but, but a good chunk of the kids are standing off to the side, and they're like, no, we don't want to play that game. We're sad. We don't want some happy game for a wedding, and this is just... Dumb, stupid game. And so, the, and so this popular girl, this ringleader, she's, she's like, okay, okay, that's cool. I, I hear you. I understand. Let's do a funeral game. Let's do a dirge. Let's all line up like they do, you know, on, at a funeral procession and, and walk really slowly and be really sad and we'll go around the whole marketplace. And again, of course, a huge chunk of the kids standing off to the side, and what do they say? Nah, I don't want to play that game. That's a stupid game. That's a dumb game. I don't want to play that. You ever said stupid or dumb before, Hunter? Those aren't nice words to use, are they? So what's the point? What's the point? Jesus then makes the extension to adults. And he says, this is exactly what y'all did. That is the Jews, that is the scribes, that is the Pharisees, that is the teachers of the law. This is exactly what you did with me and with John the Baptist. John the Baptist comes in and he is 
absolute ascetic. I don't know if you know what ascetic ascetic is, but someone who's like really concerned to eat only the basics and to dress very plainly and to make sure that they're not they're not they're not going out to parties. But instead, I only have water. I only you might know someone like this. I only eat fruits and vegetables. You know, very very. Uh, very concerned about being proper and about not getting crazy. And the, Jew, and the Jews of the day rejected him. And they said, we will not repent. So then Jesus comes along and he's drinking, he's eating, he's, he's literally partying. I mean, he's not getting like, you know, crazy face drunk or anything like that. But he's, he's with the folks that are feasting and celebrating. And they say, no, we reject that also. And Jesus is like, look, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And what he means there is the problem is not the game. And that's very, it's very important for us to understand this too. Because when childish, when you're at, when a person is acting childish or when a, when a child is acting childish, they're doing something that's called externalizing. And they're saying, the problem is not me, the problem is you. And this is what the Jews were saying to Jesus. They were saying, Jesus, we had an expectation. We had a way that we wanted to come. And we wanted it now. And you gave us the exact opposite. There was, I mean, I'm telling you, there was an incredible, there had to be an incredible amount of frustration amongst the Jews of the day, even amongst the Romans of the day. John the Baptist, this forerunner of Jesus, and Jesus himself are about to be killed. I was, sorry, spoiler, spoiler alert. The point is, though, that the people were incredibly frustrated because they were they were they were wanting Jesus to do certain things and to say certain things and to be a certain way and to bring the kingdom in a certain way and God was doing what bringing the kingdom in his way bringing exactly what the people needed but not necessarily what they wanted That's an important distinction that Jesus is making for us this morning. He's saying, with me in your life, with with me coming to you, are you being childish with the way that that I am directing your life? Are you mad at the way it's all going? Because I have a plan. He's, he's clear. God is clear about this, both with salvation history, John coming and Jesus coming to the earth and bringing the kingdom. God is like, I have a plan. And he says the same for individuals. He says, I have a plan for your life. Do you trust me? But we're get, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. The second thing, so the first thing for those that, re, those that reject Jesus, the childishness is an externalization. It's, I don't like that. I don't want to give up my desires. I don't, I, I am tired of what you're bringing. You're the problem. The, you know, there's not enough evidence. There's not enough things for me to believe. So I don't want to believe. And he's saying, no, it's a power struggle. It's an externalizing power struggle. But secondly, Jesus is saying that those that reject him are in the spiritual middle. What do I mean by the spiritual middle? Well, you see it here where he says, Woe to you, Chorazim. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. Those were the little towns right near the Sea of Galilee that he had done, as it says in the passage, most of his miracles had been performed in those towns. And yet, for some reason, they had not repented. 
I thought about this a little bit this week, and I was convicted. I was deeply convicted because I was like, this is the South. This is us. I mean, this is Charlottesville. This is Virginia. I don't, even if you're not from Virginia, you may feel this a little bit. It's this idea of these towns where Jesus performed more of his miracles. The people thought he was cool. They thought he was neat. They thought this was amazing stuff. I mean, huge crowds in those towns came out to see him. And these were really small towns. And they were like, these miracles are great. Have you seen that? Have you seen the one where he puts the guy's hand back on? It is awesome. And then there's this other one he does where he raises somebody from the dead. It's, it's incredible. And, and he speaks with such authority. Oh, have you heard this guy? It's amazing. I bought all of his CDs. Or actually, that was probably 20 years ago. I bought all of his MP3s, whatever it is. I mean, we know about this. They were, they were enamored with him. They thought he was great. But Jesus comes to them and he says, Woe to you. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Tyre and Sidon would repent before you. Tyre and Sidon were the big cities. Okay, these were the New York cities of the day. These were the Houstons. Um, and this is where it was known that, the, you know, it was a bunch of pagans living crazy, wild pagan lives in the big city, you know, kind of kind of harsh and hard and trade routes and prostitution and all that jazz. He's like, Tyre and Sidon would repent before you. What's he, what's he getting at? He's saying, Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter if you like me, if you think it's cool, if you think it's neat that I came and that I'm doing these things. Repent. That's what John called repent. And, this, and repent means I'm it. Right? That was John's question to open chapter 11 of Matthew. Do you remember that? He said, are you the one? That was John's question. And Jesus is saying, if I am the one, if I am the one, if I'm it, if I'm the savior of the world, it's going to require everything. It's going to require all of you. And that is an extreme call. And most people, and I include myself, cower in front of it. Cower in front of it. I, I was deeply convicted this week as I was studying this passage of just how, how easy it is for me to be like, think some Christian things are cool, there's this new speaker, there's a new book out, um, and yet neglect giving my whole life to Christ. It's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard. But Jesus describes it for us. To, to, to wrap our heads around what it means to give our all to Christ. He says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The Greek word there for little children means baby or infant. He's like, you've revealed this stuff to the babies and the infants. In other words, to the childlike. This is hard stuff, y'all. I'm going to be honest. Jesus is saying, those that receive me are like an infant. In other words, they're people who say things like, I'm a mess. And I cannot take care of myself. You might, have, you might recall Jesus' description of the heart in the Sermon on the Mount just a few chapters earlier, where he says, those that have lust in their heart have committed adultery, 
Those that have ever been angry at someone have committed murder in their hearts. Jesus is saying, you're a mess. We are a mess. I am a mess. He's, he just doesn't cut corners. His point is, you, you can't fix yourself like an infant. One of the things I always loved to pass on to Christy when we had little kids, when they were infants, was the diaper changing. She, I'm glad she's not in here right now, because I was terrible, y'all. I'm just being honest. I know, I know, that's true, that's true. I better be careful. I, I hated changing diapers. I mean, I mean, it was constant. Babies just constantly go to the restroom in, the, in their diaper. Uh, and so, you know, you could smell it. It would waft all over the room. And I would sort of gag uh, when I was trying to change the diaper. And then, and then you're, whenever you're wiping the baby's bottom, uh, when, when they have a, a diaper, you always get some on your hands. I know, right on? It's just, uh, it's just nasty. It's nasty. Because if the baby wasn't changed, it would be much, much worse. There would be horrible diseases and rashes that would happen. Jesus is saying, if we're willing to hear it, you can't clean yourself up. That's hard. Because I'll often tell myself, when, when I like do something I know is wrong, or I, you know, I'm, I'm get angry at someone, or I yell at my wife, or I, you know, I sin in some other secret way. I'm, you know, I like to tell myself, well, I got it under control. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I slipped. I mean, <laughs> I'm tired. It was a long day. I, was, I deserve it. <laughs> it's no big deal. I'll get over it. Next time I'll do better. Jesus is like, no, you won't. You won't do better next time. And until you embrace that and lay in that and realize that and feel that, you're not going to lay yourself in my arms. You aren't going to do better next time. You cannot clean up your own mess. That's how much you need me. Then he goes on. He goes on and he says, or I shouldn't say he goes on, I go on. Um, Another part of true spirituality is total trust. You know, it... This word, this, this Greek word for infant, isn't just, uh, just a tiny little baby, but I can also mean like a one-year-old. Like, so, basically a kid who cannot take care of himself, themselves. And Jesus is saying, these are the folks that accept me, those who finally learn that they don't know where they're going. <laughs> Again, a tough realization for us independent, strong people. Jesus is saying, you don't know where you need to go. When I had a one-year-old, Hunter, when Hunter was one years old, right? And this is still true for him now, really, to a large degree. I take him places. I show him where to go. I guide him. I bring him, right? And he just trusts me. That I love him and that I'm not going to take him to a place that's too hard for him or that's bad for him or that's going to harm him irreparably. Though I'm an earthly father and certainly I make mistakes. How much more so the heavenly father? He knows exactly where we need to be, when we need to be there. And he is going to guide us. And he's saying, relax. Relax in me. I've got this. There's something really beautiful about that kind of trust. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at. He's saying the childish go, I want it now. This is what I want for my life. This is where I want to go. 
This is what I think I need to be doing. This is the amount of money I think I need to be making. These are the people I think want to care for me. And, the, these are, these are, and Jesus is like, look, the childlike get it. Just rest. I don't have time this morning to get into all of that. We're going to dive into some of that next week. But this is just a preview of what's coming next week where Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Finally. Finally. The true shalom that God has always promised his people when they rest fully in his arms. You know, I'll conclude with this. One of the things I discussed, I don't remember who I was discussing it with this week. I think it was maybe Scott. We were talking about, um, I'll call it birth magic. And now, don't worry, I'm not going to get into the intricacies of birth. But, but birth magic for, for men. Hear me out. There was a fear that I brought into having kids. And it was this idea that, am I going to... Am I going to love this child with all of my heart when they come out of the womb? I wondered that. Because I didn't know. I'd never had kids before, right? And I, I, I didn't know what it was like to care for and to love a child. And so I was afraid. I was afraid. Like, what if I don't feel anything? What if, I don't know. What if it's just hard only? You know, and it was a little bit different for Christy. Uh, my wife, because for her, you know, she carried the baby. And she, there was a sense in which she was bonding with the baby before it was even born. But I didn't know what to expect as a man. Like, what, what's going to happen when the baby's actually born? And, and it was, this is even more pronounced for my, one of my best friends who adopted a child. And he was actually there for the birth of this child he was going to adopt. And he was even more worried than me. Because he, he was like, this isn't my, like, this isn't, Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. Like, this is someone else's child. And I am thinking about, and I'm going to, I'm planning on adopting this child. Am I going to love it? Am I going to love it like it would be my own? And so this person, I don't remember who I was discussing with, we were like, there's this thing that's called dad birth magic. I don't know what it is. I think it's from God. I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. But like, the second that child comes out of the womb, it was like, I'm done. Oh, like, I mean, like my love cannot be deeper. Oh my goodness. This, this is the depth of true love for this child. I mean, I was weak in the knees. I didn't know what to do with myself. And Christy was like, oh my goodness, you're fawning. This is weird. Who are you? But I just absolutely couldn't get enough of my little baby hunter. You remember when you were a little baby? <laughs> Think about a heavenly father. Because it's not magic for a Heavenly Father. The amount of love that He has for His infants, for His children. The depth of that love is something we cannot even know. And He's asking us, Jesus is asking us, when He says, the little children receive me, He's saying, lay in my arms. My love is deeper than any human love you've ever known. You can trust me. You can stop trying to wiggle out of my arms. You can lay down. You can let it go. You can rest. Because I love you. And I always will. Have you done that 
That's the question this morning. Have you, have you in a fresh way even repented and rested and laid down your arms, laid down your frustrations and your struggles and received him freshly? If not, if you've never done that, this morning is the perfect time to come to Jesus and for once and for, and for finally to find the love that your heart has always been longing for. And if you have, if you have already before considered yourself to have rested in His arms, considered yourself to have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, go again. He is there. What is it that you know you need to push out of the center of your life and move Him back in? What is it for you today? Let's pray. Lord God, um, Lord, we're childish. I mean, we're, I'm, we admit it. I admit it, Lord. I, I have so many things that I think I want to get from you, that I think you need to give me, that I think you need to, to have for me, Lord, and I rarely find rest. Lord, I am full of worry. I am full of stress. And I need you. We need you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would not, that we would give up the wants, the childish begging, the selfishness by your Holy Spirit, Lord. We can't do it on our own. We can't clean up our own mess. But we trust that you can. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would freshly, you would, you would change our diaper, Lord. That you would heal us. Draw us back to yourself, Lord. Lord, I pray that our hearts would, would be humble enough to place ourselves back into your care. Lord, we struggle with independence. We struggle with thinking we know exactly how our lives should go. But Lord, give us submission and humility and rest. And thank you for Jesus that through his death, through his resurrection, Lord, we find our true and final rest. Knowing that our righteousness is not our own, but our righteousness comes from Him. And that the reason we can lay so calmly and so peacefully in Your arms, Lord, is because You have covered us with His righteousness. Lord, for those this morning that are, that are doubting, they're struggling with, with doubt, they're struggling with Your plan, Lord, I pray that they would be brought again to a fresh understanding and knowledge of your love as we come to your table where you physically showed us that you've given yourself for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.